Hey guys, we're about to get into the Mark Cuban debrief. Just a little bit of a warning. We did a dual Zoom recording for the audio, but also did this over Clubhouse. Uh, so if there's any inconsistencies or weirdness, that's why. Uh, here we go. Yeah, David, EIP, EIP 1151 was the EIP where he talked. I mean, that's impressive. I think it was one of my takeaways, I guess, for this debrief is that um, we've got a billionaire four times over who doesn't need to be researching this space for investment reasons. He's he's not trying to like like get crypto wealthy here, right? Like, but he's just so fascinated with it that he's spending the time to learn DeFi protocols like Aave and um, and NFTs and releasing them on Rarible. And he's like plugged into the space. And you and I know, and everyone listening here knows that this is not easy. I mean, like it's it's uh it's not super hard, but like you have to spend, like we say in the Bankless program, you have to do that. You have to level up weekly. In it's order intentional. To know what you're doing? It's, it has it's to be intentional. Extremely intentional. And here's here's Mark Cuban, and he's being extremely intentional about investing the time to learn DeFi. That's his biggest investment here that I saw was just like apart from the projects he's buying, whatever else. It's the time he's putting into actually trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah, the the that's it's so cool and like Mark Mark Cuban, he's not he's not young. Like he was he was born in the fifties. Yet he's learning solidity. Wait, wait, how old is Mark Cuban? How old? Is uh, yeah, yeah, he was born in he was born in the fifties. I think he was born in nineteen fifty eight. I don't know how old that makes him. Um, <laughs> somebody else do that math. But um, yeah, dude, he's learning solidity. Like I like I've tried to learn solidity and it was a frustrating experience and i was with someone who was like walking me through it step by step mark i mean maybe maybe somebody's doing that for mark too but he didn't mention that he mentioned that he's like reading textbooks and going through programs the guy's learning solidity that's absolutely insane like yeah. no wonder this guy's a billionaire he just produces all of the edge himself yeah it's it that's what's that's what's crazy so so the other thing that i thought was interesting is um it felt like he got on the defi train this year last year really like 2020 okay mm. like um it's been stewing when, yeah it's been stewing but bitcoin wasn't enough for him because he saw that and he was like oh another gold cool who cares right um which i you know i'd say there's probably more to bitcoin than maybe maybe mark was seeing that's just my take mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. um but DeFi and ethereum were the gateways to him not right. not bitcoin and once he saw the potential for programmable value i.e. smart contracts interacting with uh, collectible assets like NFTs or interacting with other monetary assets. That's what totally brought him down the rabbit hole. And now he's down the rabbit hole. And we all know if you guys are bankless listeners, you're probably down the crypto rabbit hole. And it's like, it's, it's a gravity well in itself. Like I couldn't leave crypto if I tried. You know why? Because there's nothing else interesting in comparison to to crypto that blends mm -hmm. technology, you know, social, like the societal revolution, the innovation, the upside potential, the philosophy, like all of the stuff we cover on Bankless. There's nothing remotely interesting compared to crypto, at least for me. And I feel like Mark has 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 gotten there, where now he's sucked in, and he's just going to spend a lot of lot more time on this and invest more after this point. 
Yeah, this is the first example of somebody who's extremely public, some some non-crypto native, right? Who I guess he's now a crypto native by by any stretch of the word, but like <laughs> he came into this space and he he said pretty concretely, he's like, you know, people sent me bitcoins, I knew about Bitcoin, Bitcoin was Bitcoin, but it's this Ethereum thing that is really attracting my attention. And that's the first time I've I've heard somebody like of his of his stature go no, no, no. Ethereum first. Ethereum first. And like, what do you not think? to put not to put on my tribal tribal hat. And I, I actually do agree that with you, Ryan, and disagree with Mark, that there is way more to Bitcoin than what Mark Cuban sees. But the, the interesting takeaway is that he skipped right over it. And so did I, actually. When I got into crypto, I was like, yeah, Bitcoin's Bitcoin. And I didn't understand it as much as I do today at Genesis. But it was Ethereum that pulled me in. And oh. like, I, th I, I see Mark doing that same thing. Dude, that's kind of my story too, which is mm -hmm. why I relate to it. It's just like, I was, first of all, I was super interested in Bitcoin, right? Like, mm -hmm. but what do you do right. with Bitcoin? You buy it. And then yep. what do you do? That's it. <laughs> you just buy it and you, you become it. a Bitcoiner. <laughs> and you, you're like, yay, Bitcoin, right? And then you celebrate. You tweet <laughs> about it, right? You meme about it, right? Uh, so, but, but after, but with Ethereum, it was like, oh, okay. This is like the early internet. And there's going to be waves of innovation. There's going to be uh, protocols that work now that, you know, that, that don't work now that will work in the future. There's a timing thing. There's an investment thing. There's, there's a thing that you can learn and teach yourself in order to have an edge, like learning the internet in the, in the early days, get an edge, be a webmaster, right? The same thing applies here. And I think that's what he saw. My question to you, David, is if you think he's going to be the first billionaire to fall down first the ethereum DeFi track tra uh, track or you think this is going to be the you know many are going to follow in his footsteps you think he's the a one-off case right well we already know he's not a one-off case because uh shamath is not far behind him or is at least in lockstep with him oh wait is that an announcement shamath on bankless <laughs> uh, I mean, I, 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 it's not secured, but uh, I, I, I have high hopes for, for billionaires on Bankless in the future, yeah. especially okay. billionaires who get it right. Like, yeah. um, and, and so like, and Mark has, he mentioned this on, on our live stream. He's mentioned this on other interviews as well, where he goes like, yeah. And then I go to my friends and then I tell them about it. Right. And, you know, I'm assuming his friends are also well-capitalized individuals who like to invest and play, play the games. Right. And so this is the, while, you know, Chamath and Mark are the ones that are public doing this publicly, like going on podcasts, like, Mark is very comfortable on front on a camera, right? Like very, very comfortable being interviewed. There's perhaps for every one of Mark, there's another 10 people behind him doing the same exact thing that just aren't like, aren't public billionaires, right? Like it is possible to not be a public billionaire. Yeah. You, you know, what's interesting, um, David is uh, Chamath actually. And what we're referring to is um, he had an interview. I forget where this was, but Michael, you tweeted about it. This is like CNBC. Uh, okay. Okay, our favorite show, Bloomberg Frontline, which we listen to all of the time. <laughs> so Jamath was on that and uh, he made a extremely kind of like pro NFT, bullish NFT statement about um, him buying NFTs and actually making some big plays in the NFT space. And what I'm kind of struck by is how NFTs are serving as a, a gateway to some of these billionaires. So you know, they, they kind of got it with 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 Bitcoin, right? A little bit. Um, DeFi has mostly, you know, not like kind of passed over them a little bit, uh, but they're getting into DeFi 
through the surface area of NFTs specifically. Chamath has been that. I think Mark Cuban really saw the vision through through that. And then he came into DeFi that way. It, it just all tees up this theme where I think NFTs are going to have a massive year and that's going to be very synergistic with the rest of DeFi because what is what what are NFTs? They're just collectibles. And what they need is a digitally native banking system. And that's what DeFi provides. I see just a lot of synergy here between those, those two areas. Yeah, I 100% agree. And one thing we, we kind of had in our agenda, but we weren't able to get to is the amount of surface area that Ethereum has. And I'll be honest, I was not convinced about NFTs for a very long time up until extremely recently. And honestly, the thing that really convinced me about NFTs is not anything fundamental about them. It's the fact that people just buy them. Like at the end of the day, I can't argue with the fact that like millions and millions of dollars are going into NFTs and like, maybe I can't explain it, but it doesn't matter. Like my opinion doesn't matter. People buy them anyways. And like, and I, maybe the, the correct extrapolation is exactly what we we're talking about with, with Mark was that NFTs are culture, right? If, if you want to express yourself in a digital form, uh, NFTs are the way that, that you can do that. Uh, and the, the bullish, the bullish um, perspective on this is that for every culture there is out there, every squad, every, um, you know, every meme, every group, every organization that has shared story, shared narrative, shared meaning, shared culture, has, the, has surface area to create NFTs. Do you have interests? Do you have a hobby? Like there's you have probably, a community. Do you have fans? Right. Uh huh. Like in the and um, we we did get a little bit off track with him um, when I met when I accidentally well not accidentally I brought up RAC's token which is an ERC twenty token not yeah, an NFT yeah. uh, and like you know de definitely don't be a an artist that it, that mints a currency but that's not what RAC did right he didn't make a currency in the same way that like yeah uh, I mean it's twenty seventeen like uh, mistakes of the past. Yeah, don't exit scam your community. Yeah. It's kind of there, right? like, <laughs> like, like, like that idea there. But yeah, so the, the surface area for NFTs, I think, is um, is uh, is really bullish, and I think it's it's cool that um, that they're seeing it. I also thought maybe Mark Cuban had a um, almost like a few good recommendations for us that um, you know we're we're somewhat David in kind of a crypto ecosystem bubble ish, right? So, um, but one of the things I drew out of that conversation was, was Mark said, when we asked him, how do you explain DeFi to your friends? How do you explain crypto to your friends? And he's like, I don't, I show them a use case. It, it's like, it's like this framework of what problems need to be solved for people. And then I, I show them how they can solve their problem, right? Whether it's a, you have 0% in your, in your bank account right now at earning interest with us dollars. Well, if you just convert that into magical crypto uh, rails dollars, crypto dollars, then you can start earning 5% interest, right? That's a problem that somebody needs solved. Um, and like, that's how he explains it. And it's really striking that um, I think he's right. Like at some level, we don't have to evangelize to everyone. We just have to wait until we have compelling use cases and then educate uh, and, and teach people how to use those educate, uh, use those use cases, and they'll come into crypto themselves. So I don't know how you go about explaining crypto to people, but sometimes, David, when I explain crypto to people, I like their eyes glaze over because I'm mm -hmm. not like solving a problem for them, right? Like it, it's, you know, I'm into the philosophy and the social movement of it and the bankless right. thing, but their bank is working okay right now. So what problem mm -hmm. does my thing solve for them? 
Um, right. Like the protocol sync thesis is not the place to start when we, <laughs> when we talk about how to explain DeFi and crypto to people. And I think that's what is one of the big value adds that billionaires like Mark Cuban can bring to the space is he knows how to present something, right? Like, yep. he, and that's definitely a skill that I've been trying to refine is when I explain crypto to people, like I need, I need to stop talking within two to three minutes, if not, if not less than that, which means I need to get my point across very, very quickly. And and lately I've been changing up how I say things based on what's in the news cycle, right? So like if somebody asks me about DeFi and, and crypto, as of late, I'll talk about GameStop and Robinhood, right? I'll, yeah. I'll bring up those conversations. Uh, I'll also bring up the fact that like 26% of dollars got printed in the last year. Like these are exactly. easy things to understand. And and like, yeah, and, and I think that's what Mark... It really can can excel at right, and I, I don't think he's completely there on all sides, right? We saw him talk about like the healthcare blockchains and like the database blockchains, and I'm not ready to count out a blockchain everything world. I do think that's a, a thing, but like that's a 20, 30, 40 year time horizon, and right now it's Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, and and so explaining these things is a little bit harder. But um, I can I can definitely see yeah. why value like what value Mark can bring to the table when it comes I to explaining these things. Felt like with Mark, we're capturing somebody that's you know somewhere on their journey, right? right. Like we're all at different stages of of mm -hmm. our journey and sort of understanding the space and experimenting with the space. We definitely captured. Mark at a, uh, a snapshot in time, uh, you were getting into a conversation with him almost where we, we almost veered down the path of um, like, does how much does decentralization actually matter? And there's this interesting trade-off with crypto where if you maximize decentralization, there's a trade-off between uh, user experience and usability and decentralization. So M Mark's thing, and I think a thing he learned in business just generally, in you know making the amount of money he's made in all of his business enterprises is be you have to you have to make things really easy for users right and he said that's why NBA Top Shots on the flow chain is uh, is so has been doing so well is because they made it drop dead easy to buy these these collectibles and yet um, it's it's harder to articulate the value of a credibly neutral settlement mm -hmm. layer. It's hard to articulate the value of decentralization until you get into like a, a black swan type of event where you right. get like Robin Hood who's, who's banning, you know, the selling of GameStop mm -hmm. tokens, that sort of thing. So I, I felt like he was kind of wrestling those topics in his mind because he was, he, he was on the one hand talking about how cool Ethereum is and if they get ETH2 right, then like he's super bullish on that. And on the other hand, asking the question of whether a, a Binance chain or something more centralized will like come and, and drink uh, Ethereum's milkshake, but not really, I don't know, not not fully grokking maybe mm. the value of decentralization or at least right. we didn't get to that aspect of it. Do you have any takeaways there? Yeah, like Flow, for example, is a not a censorship resistant platform. Like Flow can right. be censored, but I think what people what new new people will think about is like, well, I don't care. Who like, cares? Well, yeah. Who cares? Like, what, what are they going to do? Censor my NBA top shop? Like, why would they do that? <laughs> yeah. Like, the, it, it was against their business interest to censor my NBA top shop, like NFT. Um, and But you're totally right. Like, something kind of bad needs to happen for people to understand the value of decentralization. But also the other side of that equation is is something that we've been harping on for a while is that assets on Ethereum are more useful than 
the same assets anywhere else, right? Because of the nature of composability of DeFi, right? You can't collateralize your NBA Topshop token on the Flow blockchain and, and use the and use the value inside of it, use the liquidity inside of it to draw a loan against it. And while we are not yet seeing that in DeFi, that is one of the promises of specifically NFTs on Ethereum. You get the tailwinds of DeFi. You get to access the composability and the money Legos. And if you can uh, verify the value of set said nft you can actually integrate that nft into finance right like imagine what a signed babe ruth baseball card what you could do if you could like collateralize that because a signed babe ruth baseball card is worth millions and millions of dollars that no one would question the value of that thing and so you can why why is that not a financial instrument uh i know it's weird to consider babe ruth a ba signed babe ruth baseball card a financial instrument but it, it could though. be and there's always gravitation towards liquidity there's always gravitation towards finance and right now that's ethereum and we don't really see any indication that it won't be that right and so well, that's the connection between a centralized flow blockchain and Ethereum base layer blockchain and why Ethereum, why things will always tend to gravitate towards Ethereum and how the censorship resistant conversation gets integrated in that because we know that things will trend towards Ethereum at the end of the day. Yeah, this is the thing is, uh, so you, you wrote this post on Monday, right? Uh, called very provocatively titled called Binance Has No Soul. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. well, so, you know why I titled that? You know, I, you know why I called it that? Why? Because why? Binance has no soul. Okay. <laughs> So David's thrown down on Binance here, but like, so I think uh, some people just read the headline and were like, okay, David is an Ethereum maximalist and he's a Binance hater and he just hates anything that's not his bags, yep. blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, mm -hmm. but the reality is if you read that post, and I think like we probably agree on this, that um, you actually think, and I actually think Binance chain is mega bullish for Ethereum. The flow blockchain and NBA top shots is mega bullish for Ethereum. And, and the reason is because all of these, you know, centralized side chains, whether it's something like flow or whether it's something like Binance chain or whether it's something like, uh, hey, Coinbase, the exchange, that's a side chain. They're all going to end up settling their transaction value on Ethereum. And why Ethereum? Why can't they replace an Ethereum? It's because Ethereum is the most credibly neutral settlement layer. Uh, versus all of those systems, right? It's the one thing that, you know, if you build on top of it, uh, it can't be shut down. Coinbase is not going to build on top of Binance mm -hmm. chain. Why? Because that's a Binance product. Right. Uh, but where are Binance and Coinbase going to build on top of? Well, something neither of them control, something that's credibly neutral and unbiased, something like Ethereum. So I actually think that like all of the, the, the birth of all of these more centralized chains uh, is super bullish for Ethereum provided that, and the thing I think we want to point out is that we can't assume that's the end destination, right? Like, dude, if crypto, if all we're left with in crypto is just Bitcoin and like Binance chain and Ethereum mm -hmm. is not a thing, that's not going to change the world at all, right. right? Like that is not the permissionless open financial system that uh, it's, it's basically just like Robin Hood plus a new gold standard. And like, who cares, man? That's not why I'm here. So uh, anyway, any reflections on on that from the conversation? Yeah, right. This is a this is a frequent topic on, on the Bankless <laughs> yeah, so program. Maybe. And so it's, it's very <laughs> natural that we gravitate towards the conversation of how everything gravitates towards Ethereum. The, the, the question I have for you, Ryan, is like, 
you know, that's, that's the bankless path, right? If you, if you consume bankless content, if you listen to the bankless podcast, if you just follow what David and Ryan think and talk about, that's, that's where we, that's where we lead, but I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily be convinced that like every single person coming into the space will actually find that path. And okay. I'm not, I'm not saying that. And of course, like, I think that's the right path. I think that's the correct path. It makes logical sense to me, but that doesn't mean that it makes logical sense to anyone else. So what do you, what do you think about the possibility of like Mark Cuban, perhaps not follow, not finding that path and not agreeing with it or like new people coming into the space. Like we're not going to capture everyone with this thesis, with this model. Do oh, you, I think, go ahead. I think David, it's a net positive. I think it's just a wider net. So the cool thing about using Binance chain uh, is that you're actually using MetaMask and you're actually using uh, Ethereum-like infrastructure. It's almost like a sandbox to play on, on top of Ethereum. So that is a net acquirer of users and capitals to Ethereum. The fact that they're even using the EVM, right? Well, that sets the EVM as a standard. The, the fact that they're mimicking all of the Ethereum applications, well, I mean, that 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 means that those it's it's training wheels essentially. So I see it all as a uh, as a positive thing. And look, there 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 are a couple set of users, right? I don't expect uh, necessarily the you know the the initial user to to care much about decentralization when they first get into the space. But do you know who cares, David? Is the builders? The builders care. Mm -hmm. When we had that right. layer two uh, podcast that we came out with on Monday, where we talked to synthetics, we talked to Loopring, and we talked to Immutable, the people behind Gods Unchained, um, they very much cared about you know developing on a platform where there could be no censorship and there could be no rug pulling and there could be no shenanigans, right? And so ultimately, users are also going to come to various applications or various various uh, chains because of the apps that are on them. And so the builders have a big say in terms of what platforms they build on. And if they build something really cool, that will draw users too. So there are multiple stakeholders uh, here. And I do think that the builders generally will always skew whether it's a builder like Coinbase or Gemini building on a chain or whether it's uh, a, a crypto protocol, they're going to skew towards the most credibly neutral system. And that's why right now they're skewing to, to layer two and, and rollups uh, secured by Ethereum, at least that set was. So end of the day, man, I'm not worried. I think it's all good. Like let's all, let's all party here. That, that's, that's a really good, hang, hang on, Mike. Let me, let me get, the, get this one last point across. That, that's a really good point because um, for every one builder there is, that's a thousand users or ten thousand users, right? Oh yeah. And so and so the the magnitude of and and like what to your point, like builders understand the value of decentralization, right? And so that is that is that is kind of how we kind of come to the conclusion that things do gravitate towards Ethereum. Is that um, for every one builder that is, there is building on Ethereum that brings in ten thousand people, right? But but here's me being the devil's advocate, uh, CryptoKitties was built on Ethereum and the team behind CryptoKitties Dapper Labs is building the Flow blockchain, right? So question mark, question mark, question to you. Sir. Yeah, I, I guess I guess a couple things on that. So, you know, one, let, let, let's look at it from an economic incentive perspective. The Flow blockchain is way more damn lucrative than uh, CryptoKitties ever was, right? So it's a, we've got a potential 
NFT chain. It's a better story for VCs. It's a better story from a valuation perspective. This is the reason we're seeing so many ETH killers out there is because there's there's an incentive to capture the market share of ETH inside of your token because it will make you rich, right? So by the way, I'm not saying that you know this is the only reason that Flow is doing it. I'm just saying there's a powerful economic incentive like to do it and like we shouldn't ignore that. The other thing I would say, David, is um I I, I you know, even this was reflected when we talked to, to Cuban. He was like, you know, what when when uh when ETH2 comes, it's gonna solve all of this, right? And and like from a gas perspective. And you and I have talked about this before, that's really not how it's going to work, right? Like we don't get this thing called ETH2 and then suddenly all high gas fees go go away, right? right. The the Ethereum layer as it stands, specifically this this main chain, which will become a shard in ETH2, uh, the transactions in that in that chain are going to be incredibly valuable, always. Mm -hmm. Like always. gas fees may never come down. What we will be able to do is put more trustless uh, transactions through rollups and other things inside of those of those fees themselves. Mm -hmm. But um, Ethereum is always going to have this thing of like, we've talked about it before, economic density, right? Um, transactions on Ethereum are going to be the most economically dense because it's expensive because uh, trustless block space is super expensive. So I think that that plays into it too. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, in the future, David, it just comes down to, I don't think we're going to start people. I don't think newbies are going to start their journey the way we started it on the Ethereum mainnet. They'll, they'll start somewhere else. They'll start with either a right. centralized side chain, like something like top, top shots, or they'll start directly on a, on a layer two. Right. Scaling solutions will not make gas fees go down. What they will do is they will stop making gas fees go up or at least stop making them go up so fast, right? What scaling solutions do is they allow for overflow to stay on Ethereum, right? So is, is the Ethereum L1 too expensive to transact on? Well, with sharding, you can go onto a different shard, which will have lower gas fees, but there's still going to be that Manhattan shard that everyone wants to be on. The difference with sharding and the difference with L2 is that you can now migrate away from Manhattan into cheaper and cheaper territory, right? So sorry for all the listeners out there who are trying to get back to like the good old days of one to 10 GUE gas fees, at least on the main Ethereum chain and, and the, the main Ethereum chart, which there will probably be one main Ethereum chart where the majority of uh, economic activity happens, those gas fees are probably going to be what we know them to be today, right? But again, the point is, is that uh, we can create land that is still on Ethereum, the Ethereum native land where gas fees are, are less than that. Well, he was, da David, he was one of our more... I guess, uh, bullish guess from that perspective. So we've had guests on in the past, like uh, Ben Hunt, for instance, or even like a, a Rowan Gray, who basically believe that anytime the nation state feels threatened, at the, at the point in time the nation state feels threatened, either from you know, the, their currency's perspective, uh, from, from their monetary policy perspective, or from a, you know, state surveillance perspective, the very first thing that that country is going to do is like shut it down and like try to squash it. Um, many guests have, have told us this uh, over, over the years, but, but Cuban was very pro regulators actually understanding this. And I think Michael, to, to one of your points, a reason was because, hey, they can't do anything about it. Like they can't stop it. So uh, they're just going to have to get used to the new world. And I do think that um, 
he understood that uniquely because he was present during the birth of the internet. And he said, this surprised me because I wasn't there. You weren't there, David, but like he said, regulators were, were just as um, ignorant of the, of the internet as they are uh, with crypto. Now I have like this, this vision of the nineties. I was like yeah, a kid at that time, but like of, Oh yeah. You know, Congress was just like the internet's going to be huge. And so we want it in America and we're going to support it, but no, I mean, they threw up barriers with like copyright law with like, you know, um, uh, HTTPS and, right. you know, v- various kind of privacy tech and all of these barriers and th- they had to be educated. So, it was cool that Mark was so bullish that the U.S. would get behind this, maybe because they have no other choice, but also that politicians would start to understand. I've got to say, I haven't quite seen that yet. So I'm maybe he's going to be part of that conversation. I don't know, um, but it would be great. What's your take, David? I'm, I'm naturally an optimist, but since we've already gone through the whole internet revolution, then it makes sense to me that we can actually reference the internet revolution when we talk about crypto regulation, right? Like we're doing it right now. Why can't politicians understand those same metaphors as well? It's like, hey, like, hey, we're, we're, we're redoing the internet revolution, but this time it's the crypto revolution. We better not stifle innovation because imagine if we had done that last time. Imagine how terrible that would be. Uh, and I, I think even though like the government regulators tend to be of the older cohort, the more the more behind cohort, like no one in no one in Congress is learning solidity. Um, they're still going to be able to understand that metaphor where like we do have something to lose here because, you know, the, everyone knows China moves very quickly when it comes to tech. Everyone knows that, you know, America is the has the lead that can be lost. Um, and so maybe maybe that's my optimistic bias, but I, I think that makes sense to me. I think I think that's definitely optimistic. The one thing I worry about here, right? And I'm, you know, is is that think of the internet. Who did the internet disrupt? You know, brick and mortar retailers definitely disrupted media in a big way. Who does crypto disrupt? Well, something closer to the vest, something closer to government, uh, friends of government, maybe banks. Right. These are people with capital and influence and not just commercial banks, but also potentially centralized banks, central banks. So yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think I'm like I I'm long term optimistic here, but I do think it's possible uh, crypto has some unique barriers to it in, in terms of entrenched interests that the Internet revolution really didn't. So we'll have to see how that plays out. It's going to play out at a, you know, nation state level. I just saw news that South Korea, David, this happened yesterday. Um, they uh, banned privacy coins, right? So like no fr- from crypto trading on crypto exchanges. So like no Zcash on crypto exchanges. So it's like, well, uh, no, 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 no. They didn't ban privacy coins. They banned their own exchanges from touching Correct. privacy coins. Correct. So privacy coins can't be banned. Bitcoin can't be banned. They can only ban their own constituents from touching those things. Well, That's correct. Important differentiator. I mean, I, I would say they could be they could be banned at a different level, right? Like, so if if suddenly a country went all 1930s the way they did with gold and said, hey, David Hoffman, it's illegal for you to hold a privacy coin. If we, we catch you holding a privacy right. coin, you're going to jail. Uh, they haven't right. done that, but that could be a more like- <laughs> Right, but no, they're not banning action. the network. They're banning their own citizens from touching the network, right? It's a restriction yes. on the people, not on the network. Correct, correct. Yeah. So, it's, it's just a semantics kind of nuance thing, but I really like that take. Like, and this is something that um, uh, Nick Carter says, like when you, when a country bans Bitcoin, they actually, what they're really doing is they're just 
reducing their ability for their own citizens to express certain beliefs or, or actions. That's definitely the take that nation state uh, competitive situations will drive everyone, every nation to adopt crypto. And uh, I do think that's the optimistic take. But look, I, you know, Mark Cuban was more optimistic, like right now, he thinks regulators will get this, it, it felt like in the next in the next few years. So uh, yeah. fingers crossed. Do you think he's going to be is, is Mark Cuban going to be the Elon Musk of DeFi of Ethereum? <laughs> I'm, I'm so gonna... optimistic that Elon yeah. Musk will be the Elon Musk of DeFi. <laughs> like he knows about Ethereum, he knows about DeFi. So you know, he, he could be one of those next billionaires down the line. All right. Well, if Elon is listening to the debrief, then, mm -hmm. you know, come on the show, come on Bankless. Love to have Speaking you talk to you. of the debrief, I think it's time, Ryan, that we wrap up this debrief. And so we're going to pause the recording on Zoom, which means we're going.